The forest calls, and heroes shall answer. The old Margrave Forest is an ancient wood, already old when most of the gods were young. Kingdoms rise and fall beyond its borders, but the Margrave remains a world apart, a place where memories and old magic linger in the rings of trees. It has plenty of secrets and treasures to tempt adventurers, but those who fail to honor the old ways do not return. The 60 pages of the Margrave Player's Guide for 5th edition give you everything you need to journey into the deep, dark woods and come out again alive, or achieve a hero's death worthy of story and song. Here you'll find three new playable races from the deep woods, new barbarian primal paths for bear folk characters, forest-themed class options for clerics, druids, rangers, rogues, warlocks, and wizards, 13 new companion beasts including everything from alligators and falcons to a giant mongoose, forest hounds, and rare stags, six new feats, and a new forest dweller background with a feral variant, 45 new spells including shadow tree, Legion of Rabbit Squirrels, Mark Prey, and Revive Beast. New magic items including Bracelet of the Fire Tender, Circlet of Holly, and Sickle of Thorns. The gods speed you on your quest, heroes. Stay to the path. Beware the human-sounding whispers from the shadows. And never, ever light a torch after midnight. Support Crit Academy by picking up this amazing product at www.critacademy.com slash Press. Welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. And I'm your guest, Darren Scott. I'm your co-host, Brandon. And I'm your co-host, Ian. This podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you to your next adventure. Our show may not be suitable for young children, but neither is our D&D games. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I did get a tweet from somebody asking if we would calm down the language, and I told him I would make no promises, but I'll see what I can do. I have officially seen what I can do, and it's nothing. So you're shit out of luck, dude. Sorry. Um, <laughs> um, if you are volunteering to edit, you can more than happily go through and add some bleeps. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by our generous sponsor... Hey, uh, thanks I'm, for subscribing. I'm not used to seeing that. Hang on. <laughs> I think I made it so it wouldn't disappear yeah, R- anymore. Ruckland. Wow. Um, thank you for the follow. Um, damn, you, inter- <laughs> you totally derailed me. I got to get used to that. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by our generous sponsor, Cobalt Press. I highly recommend you check out their amazing products. They just came out with some really awesome stuff. You can head on over to CritAcademy.com slash Cobalt Press and check out not only their Margrave adventure, but also the amazing collection of player options and spells and races and all that jazz uh, there. We want to thank you for joining us today here at Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. Yep, that's right. Your roles are like Drew's Orton without Icing Death and Twinkle. Do you know what Icing Death and Twinkle are, Brandon or Ian? 
Icing Death and Twinkle? Guess not. Uh, no. You're not nerdy enough. Not nerdy enough for this show. Clearly not. Now we're going to test uh, Darren Scott's knowledge. He obviously wrote a book, Drizdo Erden's Guide to Combat. Tell me, what are Icing Death and Twinkle? Icing Death and Twinkle are Drizdo Erden's scimitars. Icing Death is sort of a bane to fire elementals and also gives him resistance to fire damage. Twinkle is his other sword and it can put them to sleep or put other creatures to sleep upon hitting them. Nailed it. <laughs> I honestly was just expecting there's swords, but man, you just went above and beyond. Thank you for that, Darren. I'm really excited to have you on, Darren. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's my pleasure to be here, as always. <laughs> Those of you who don't know, uh, Darren has been with us before. Um, back on episode 95, we did versatile NPCs. Uh, make sure you go and check that out. That product is still one of my favorites. I use stuff from it all the time, both one and two. So thank you for those. Before we get too much into the uh, show, we spend we like to start off on a high note, and we do that by giving away Fat Loot's compliments of our sponsor. Each episode, we will draw one lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the five-star rated adventure, Banquet of the Damned, compliments of Goblin Stone. Goblin Stone is a community project for D&D fans based out of the UK. They aim to be a place where you can team up with professionals to turn your ideas into high-quality products and give every fan a chance to get published. Be sure to head over to www.goblinstone.com or you can check out our fellowship link on our website, www.critacademy.com. Get that clerk a potion. He's thirsty. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the comments from a previous uh, show. Darren, who is our winner today? That would be Harley89312. Congratulations, Harley. Congratulations, Har- uh, Harley. If you enjoyed the adventure, please make sure to leave Goblin Stone a review. Now, we got a really great episode for you today. I kind of touched on a little bit. Um, we're going to answer a question from Tan Roman in regards to uh, a- an interesting scenario that I undoubtedly believe happens in many d- games. Most. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be discussing our main topic with Darren here, Dritz Doerden's Guide to Combat. Um, if you're joining us for the first time last week, uh, well, last week's episode, which is two weeks ago, because I was on vacation, we had the Art of Combat with M.T. Black. So this was a really good lineup right after that. Two of these amazing focuses on combat, and I'm excited to, to discuss it. And I love my combat. I know you do. <laughs> and of course, we have our Unearthed Tips and Tricks, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. But before all that, we spent a few minutes talking about what's going on in our realm. Darren, what's going on in your realm? Uh, right now, I am getting ready to... Coming on the closing third of this campaign that I'm doing right now. Nice. Uh, it's a gothic horror campaign. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Um, starting back up, at, uh, I took a little break for medical reasons from work. I'm going to get back to my counseling job very soon. Mm. So. Good luck very with that. Very cool. Um, I hope that all goes well. Um, wrapping up a com- campaign is always a very exciting thing. We did that a couple weeks back, actually. <laughs> we just finished our Storm King's Thunder campaign, and it was awesome. We had two giant uh, airships um, <laughs> fighting a dragon, um, all mid-air battle. It was phenomenal. And I immediately followed that awesome campaign closure up 
with a whole week in Florida at Alarnda Studios for my 10-year anniversary. So it's been a really, really exciting... Um, Congrats, dude. Yeah, thank you. It's been a very exciting couple uh, weeks. Um, and I think we had a, a had a, overall had a pretty awesome blast. For those that fo- are part of our Patreon, I've been sharing pictures and stuff, and they can see all the stuff I've been doing. The Harry Potter land thing is dope as hell, and I don't even like Harry Potter, so that was pretty cool. But um, anything exciting going on in your guys' realm? Finally playing Slay the Spire on, off of Steam, and that's actually been pretty addictive. What kind of game is that? It's a deck-building card game RPG. Ooh, I'll have to check that out. All right, Brandon, what's going on in your realm? Uh, not too much. I've been practicing a lot with blind solving and getting faster with that with the 3x3. Three three. Uh, I have the 4th and the 5th off, so I'm thinking about stealing the uh, studio on Friday to just draw all day long. This Friday? No. You just said the 4th or the 5th. So Saturday, <laughs> one of those days. Well, I'm starting the next campaign this Friday, and they're all excited. Like, oh, yeah, I am. I get to play. <laughs> Darren, do you often DM, or do you get to play as a player? I DM every week, and I don't get to play as much as I'd like. But I ultimately like DMing more, so Ooh. that's a good part. But I'm there's a, I have a couple friends that work at the local Renaissance Fair where I live, and so these are two of my players. So we're um we're going to probably switch things up while they're gone and have one of the other players DM. And so I get to be a player for eight to 11 weeks. Oh, that's exciting. I I know I'm excited. I love DMing, but this bad boy is going to have to deal with that stress for a little while. And I just get to show up and play a character. So thank you. Oh, it's so nice not having to like prep or worry about tracking like a million events or anything like that. Yep. You got it. And Brandon, I apologize in advance if I break you. <laughs> oh, we're going to break him hard. You're not going to break me. I broke you, you with a clipboard, so. <laughs> oh, man, we're going to take care of you. <laughs> uh, I, I think every I'm player not... should try DMing for at least a few sessions, though, because once you do, once you actually try DMing, you gain a whole new perspective on D&D. Absolutely. And that... say, I, I'm the AI that's just telling a story. It's your guys' world, not mine. Hmm. I wish there was other DMs that thought that way. Most of them are like, this is my world. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, um, your realm? Huh? Uh, I've already talked about my realm. I did, think, did yeah, I think oh, that'll do it for oh, yeah, in the realm. Uh, Brandon, if they'd like to visit other realms, how can they do so? They can visit greatacademy.com where they can find a link to audible.com. And you can go there and you can get a free uh, 30-day trial and a free audiobook if you do so. And if you do that, you can, uh, you can help us out. They, they give us stuff for when you do that. Yeah. And also, go check out Drizz, Books with Drids, Legend of Drits with that audio free. It's awesome. That's how I got started. Shit's awesome. I uh, have a blast, and man, that guy is just badass, so hopefully we'll learn a little bit more about him as we're going through this process. Moving on to our Let's Talk About Blank segment, we have a question from Tom Robin. Question. That's a weird way to start off your question, but okay. Uh, a group of players is stopped in the road by bandits. They are all talking to each other. Tensions rise. One player says, I attack them. Do I let that player attack first, then roll initiative? That wouldn't be a surprise mm-hmm. round because everyone sees each other. I mean, Darren, as our guest, what do you think? How, what is your take on this? According to the player's handbook, no, that would not be a surprise round because none of the participants of the combat are hidden. I might rule that um, one of the characters could get a surprise attack if they had a hidden weapon like a wrist launcher or something. Oh. Um, but that's kind of a weird exception that doesn't really exist in the player's handbook. Yeah. But um, but when you really think about it, though, as soon as those bandits see one of the PCs start to draw their weapon, it's it's on. 
I mean, I could see this being ruled either way, really. It might depend on just a DM style, but I can see a side argument like get one attack in and then roll initiative. But I can also see how everyone's on guard getting just in case something happens. And if he says I attack, roll initiative too. Either one works just fine. Yeah, and I think <laughs> just the be consistent is yeah. the most important part. I think the rules support that once he says I attack, the initiative is rolled and then you go buy it that way. Brandon, what do you think? I was going to go based off of what you've been doing because it seems the most. Well, okay, what, do you want to tell everyone I just what I do? Boost your ego there. A well, bit? no, I just I was gonna roll into that, but if you're gonna yeah, feed uh, it, that makes it all that better. Well, every time this has happened when you've DM'd, someone would say, I attack, and he would allow that person to attack and then initiative would be rolled. Yep. But I, then they get placed in the in the initiative based on what their role was. Yeah, and there's yeah. there's a reason I do that for uh I don't know if uh uh, and for those of you that are tuning in for the first time, um, when I run initiative, I have everyone roll initiative in advance at the beginning of the session and then at the end of every combat. So when a situation like that arises, the flow is more natural in the discussion. If you're sitting there having a, uh, a conversation and Billy says he attacks, I let him go for- first and then I just continue initiative from there. So depending on where he's at, um, it becomes a much more natural flow. Um, and because I've already rolled initiative, I don't got to go into that roll initiative where there's a break in the action. It just moves on from there. Um, and to me, that works better narratively, even though the player handbook doesn't really indicate that's the way it's supposed to go. I do agree with Darren. It's definitely not a surprise attack. And I love the idea if the weapon's hidden, it can be, though. Do you have any additional responses, uh, Darren? It's an interesting, I mean, I've actually done it your way before. I've ultimately kind of ruled against it because the, or not ruled against it per se, but I generally don't do that anymore because REW does offer more sort of consistency. So mm-hmm. I try to stick to that when possible. With that said, you know, because some of my players are can be a little bit rules lawyery, but not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of like, oh, does this, you know, they want to make sure everything is right. So everything is fair. Yeah. And, and, and I can uh, see the that best for way sure. to do that is just to go by the rules as written. And I don't, don't think there's anything wrong with, with rules learning in particular, but it can be taken too far like anything else, though. Right. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The one thing. Depends on are you being a dick about it. Yeah. Yeah. Here's my thoughts on this because I, I had so many situations come up where Billy says, I want to pull the lever to drop the chandelier on somebody's head. Well, initiative rolls. Well, the action for everyone attacking is what Billy was trying to do. In this case, pull the pull the lever which starts quote-unquote combat so i ended up finding that i kept running into that situation where all the triggers of combat are based off this action that ended up at the bottom of the initiative you know and so um while i agree 100 percent with uh darren that the rules are there to make sure there's a good guiding consistency i in my experience i found that i that was something that i kept struggling with so i made an alteration uh based on that in regardless of which decision you make uh, as both Darren and Ian have said, make sure you're just the same with it. You're consistent and you don't constantly flip flop because that's when you start to have a whole lot more issues in your in your um, game is when your players don't know why you ruled one way in this situation, but what rule ruled differently in this situation on a different time period. Mm-hmm. So to kind of turn that around, what I was thinking is imagine, you know, a lot of DMC, it is a virtue to be consistent between what the players can do and what the monsters can do. So. Mm-hmm. Just an interesting thought experiment. What if the monsters can suddenly say, one of them attacks you, and it just happens, and then you roll initiative? Um, in some cases, that has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think that comes down to once how the engagement starts to begin with, whether it's the PCs are being hostile. For instance, let's go with an orc versus the orcs versus the party. Um, you might get this kind of quick banter back and forth, but if the player instantly says something that's very quote unquote offensive or rude or inconsiderate, why wouldn't that orc just swat him in the face? Now, since the players know that if they decided to do that first, they would get that action, specifically just the one person before initiatives rolled, but the same goes for the, the, the DM. So then that drives how their interactions and how their behaviors go back and forth, don't you think? Like, if they know that the guy can just bitch slap them out of the blue, they're probably going to be more discreet, I guess, and less mm -hmm. forward, though there's some players that that's the way their characters are, and it results in a good backhand. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's a like, good thought experiment, though. I like that. And stuff like that could be a good thing to cover during session zero, too. Oh, absolutely. Definitely, Definitely. should be. Mm -hmm. I agree. All my, I, I have a few homebrew rules, and... Not counting like monsters and classes; those are options, not gameplay changes. But there are a few gameplay changes that I do have, and they're all written out in a a, a table bible, so to speak, <laughs> and that really helps players a lot. Sure, that's awesome. Uh, I think that'll do it for our "Let's Talk About Blank" segment. Uh, before we move on to our main topic, I just like to say if you enjoy the show and you want to support us, there's a multitude of ways to do that. Um, follow us on Twitch and on YouTube. Um, like and share our content. Become a Patreon supporter. We just hit our second goal for our Patreon. So now that means not only uh, for our gold tiers, we release a monthly one-page adventure. We are now going to be releasing two of those. And one of those goes to every single patron regardless of your tier. Um, as long as we stay above that um, goal, mainly because I pay somebody else to do that because I don't got the time for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but now we're giving away two at the ten dollar tier, and you get all kinds of lots of uh, all kinds of rewards, including a complimentary copy of some of our products. Um, join us on Discord and all that jazz. You can go to uh, Patreon.com/slash/CritAcademy and and check out all that stuff uh, there, as well as pick up some of our. Uh, dms guild content we're growing in our dms guild content we're having more and more so definitely check out all the awesome stuff that i spend way too much time writing <laughs> yeah uh so moving on to our main topic i am really excited for this um i have got to read through this entire product and can i just say darren you did phenomenal work phenomenal well, thank work. you very much um and a lot of research clearly went into this uh, and you clearly have a plethora of experience when it comes to being a DM. Look, you, uh, you've obviously put a lot of experience and time and effort into this. Um, we know all about you, but for those that, people that are joining us for the first time, can you tell uh, Crit Nation a little bit about yourself and what you do in the D&D world? Yeah, um, well, I'm a DM's Guild author, so I publish content there. Year, um, and over the past year or so, I've really grown my commitment to working on stuff in the guild and it's gotten more serious and I've found that to be my passion over time. You know, I love counseling, but I'm a nerd at heart. Let's be real. Mm -hmm. Um, and let's see what else I've loved tabletop RPG since I was like 12 worked on. Um, I think the first one I ever participated in was actually call of Cthulhu. Okay. And, um, I fell in love with five E shortly after it came out and playing my first game. And as soon as I started DMing, I was homebrewing. And I've just been homebrewing and homebrewing ever since. So the first game I ever homebrewed was a you know, just complete mess of a homebrew. <laughs> Awful, but I think I've gotten a little better since then. 
Practice that, makes perfect. And, and that's really what it comes down for any DM because that's that's one thing I love about DMs Guild and the content not only you're creating but many creators and now even us. <laughs> we're now creators. Um, is that the more you do it, the more refined it becomes, the better mm-hmm. you get it. And I've said this before on the show that I think some of the DMs Guild content by those creators such as yourself and MT Black and Jeff Stevens and, and JVC Perry is better than some of the stuff that comes from Watsy. Um now, don't get me wrong, there's a shit ton of garbage out there, too, but man, there is just some fantastic masterpieces, and I like to think Drids Doerden's Guide to Combat is one of those. With that... <laughs> Raven, that's funny. What? Homebrew is a dangerous tool, as always. And <laughs> he says, says the guy that helped with the Paladin. Because <laughs> he <laughs> yeah. helps make a Paladin, we're going to player test that while uh, I'll do the campaign. Yep, um, so... Can you tell us a little bit about Drids Dorden's Guide to Combat for those that haven't read it yet? Uh, basically, it's your fun is wrong, so we're going to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, not quite. It's, um, basically, what it is, it's a, it's a comprehensive resource to help players, or sorry, DMs run the most engaging kind of combats that they can do. Um, and it's it does accommodate a, a variety of different DMing styles. So it isn't you know just telling you like you have to do it this way or that way. There are certain points where uh, I do offer various. Uh, I say this is my bias right here, but I also you know give alternatives to uh, various things I've heard. Um, in addition to you know the fifty pages or so of main content, there is an additional twenty pages of supplementary supplementary material, which includes. Uh, 18 printer friendly stat blocks for mass combat. So instead of having like 20 enemies run as individual enemies all rolled separately for initiative, you can have like just a few, two or three of these blocks of enemies um, and run them like squads. And then there's also a guide on how to make more of those. And there's also four pages of printable tokens so that you don't have to spend hundreds of dollars on miniatures. Yeah. Expensive. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Um, the one thing, uh, I'd like to, if you would, uh, touch on it a little more for us is not everyone might, there might be many who don't know who Dridsdo Erden, who the namesake of the product is. If you haven't seen the cover art to this, it's dope as hell. It is so good. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, Dridsdo Erden and, and, and why he is the face of your product? He is a legendary character from R.A. Salvatore's series, The Legend of Drizzt, and it's definitely the most famous Forgotten Realms series. Um, it's a very famous fantasy series in general. Um, he is one of the, the few drow who is like unequivocally good. And um, he is a master with scimitars, and so that kind of inspired this title. Um, like You have a, a book by Mordenkainen and Volo and that sort of stuff. Or not by them, but named after them. And in the same way that they are masters of lore and magic, Driz is a master of combat. <laughs> and funny story about the cover, actually. The um, the guy who did it, Omicron Siret, he, uh, he's told me how ever since this came out, he's gotten so many people asking him for commissions <laughs> and stuff. I know at least uh, a few um, of the guild authors have commissioned him since. That's awesome. I mean, it is an a, a beautiful piece of art. Um, Silver Wolf says hashtag poster board. <laughs> He's the uh, poster boy for uh, combat, and, and you're very much right. The one thing that's uh, really cool about him is is his master of not just weapons but tactics. 
And that really, to me, encompasses exactly what your your book is about. Your book has so much content. I didn't. I had to. I had to narrow down some some topics of discussion because there's just too much for us to uh, touch on specifically. So I guess the, the the thing I wanted you to talk to us a little bit about is in chapter one you ca- uh, called the dungeon master. You talk about abdicating player intent. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So. Um... Adjudicating player intent is basically the, the fundamental job of the dungeon master. And what that means is that fundamental task of the dungeon master to when a player says, okay, I want to jump up on this ridge and throw down um, this acid bomb onto the enemies below. You as the DM have to translate what that means into the rules. And in combat, not every action is strictly defined in the player's handbook. So there are a lot of edge cases where you're going to have to translate it as best you can. And um, a lot of the time when you're adjudicating players' intent, you want to allow them to be creative. Yeah, um, and that's something I think we've talked to at at length on the show is that um, sometimes I consider the, the rules a lot like a blade of grass. And sometimes you have to let the wind blow it a little blow blow it a little not straight so that you can help the player accomplish some of the stuff they want because i found that the more wiggle room you give them the more creative and adventurous they're generally willing to get now mm-hmm. and sometimes you just gotta mow it yeah <laughs> just destroy the rule yep. um i don't know if i agree with that 100 percent, but <laughs> It's like but, the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, the Matrix is more accurate, right? Where you, you're bending and weaving to the rules. In in from a dungeon master's perspective, it's important for us to not only uh, translate that into rules. We're secretly on the player side, so when you do this, you don't have to give them five checks to achieve this really cool thing that they want to do. Yeah, I hate when I hate seeing DMs do that. They're like, all right, um, I want to sneak past this group of guards. All right, hold on, I need to have every, each person in the party make an individual stealth check, and then every single like one of these guards that's just lazing about, not even looking around, makes an individual perception check. Oh, they spotted one of you. I never predicted this would happen. <laughs> Ten checks and one of them fails. Right, right. And there's a lot of DMs that do stuff like that. So when you're narrating the intent uh, or abjugating the, the, the player's intent, make sure you're secretly on their side. Don't go out of your way to, first of all, make it more complex than it needs to be. And secondly, don't make it so that it's nigh impossible for them to succeed because then you're going to find that they often stop stop wanting to try. At least that's in my experience. I don't know if you've had something similar. Yeah. Um, I actually thankfully haven't had that problem, but I, I do understand there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of important factors to adjudicating and some of the stuff that I do go over the tips in brief, uh, in guide to combat for, um, uh, adjudication are basically just listen to your, uh, players very intently, give them the benefit of the doubt. Like you mentioned, maintain internal consistency, Make their actions feel meaningful with their consequences. Um, carry cool descriptions and use your imagination. There's a lot of fun things you can do with how you translate um, what the players are doing. Absolutely right. Uh, and what about settling rule disputes? This one seems pretty important because it comes up all the time, and you're, there's just some case when you're like, God, motherfucker. Yeah, so <laughs> when you're trying to settle rules dispute, most of the time you just want to make a quick judgment call and move on. If it's a matter of life and death for that player character, 
you might want to take the time to say timeout and look things up. Um, another thing you can do, a tactic, is you can get one of the players to help you be the, the rules guy or gal and say, all right, now uh, we can continue on through the combat while you look this up. Yes, I'm a big fan of that, mostly because I'm lazy and don't want to do it myself. Generally, what, in, in my, what I've done, and once again, this is going to be different for every DM, is that if I don't know a rule... I almost always will rule in favor of the player and then write it down and then look it up later and deal with it after the game because um, when it comes to combat, that is one of the biggest bog downs of any game and just spending time rifling through a book is going to add to that and you want to you want to try to avoid that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. What is your general advice in your guide about DM uh, etiquette? Etiquette. etiquette. Um... I think you said it a little bit earlier, um, mm -hmm. Brandon. It was just sort of be the um, basically you and the and the and the players are telling a story together. You're, the the players aren't part of your story, and you're not the antagonist. Oh right, you're the, the you play AI, the antagonist, <laughs> and you the antagonist will sometimes try to kill the player characters. And sometimes the player characters will die, but it's ultimately just a consequence of who the the antagonists are, not who you are as a DM. It's important to distinguish the the things there. Yeah, you don't want to be the, the <laughs> listen to inner party conflict. That Gabe's got an amazing story about this, where it's the DM versus the players. That is something mm -hmm. that uh, honestly I have fallen victim to when I first started. That was me. Um, I thought it was my goal to use the bounds of the rules to put this challenge in front of the players and try to overcome them. And I played it that way. That is not the right way to play at all. And if you if you have fun with that kind of stuff, I might suggest a war game. Like, you could try Warhammer or Kill Team or any of those things. You can get your kicks in doing that. D&D is not that type of game so i go, go with and well i'm, I'm gonna get you're not wrong and i'm gonna get to that no reason why but um i agree with darren there's other better avenues for that now to your point in um in fourth edition <laughs> what is that how everyone feels right no nope. i actually like fourth edition <laughs> and actually i think ian's on board with me um when you could do what these were were called dungeon delves they're called one shots now or whatever and you could sit down with the team and say hey let's do a dungeon that's me against you guys I'm going to keep it within the bounds of the rules. Here's what I'm going to do. And you can, if they go in knowing that, it's less of a problem. In fact, I think Tome of Horrors was based off of that very thing, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. um, so, if, if, Yeah, I was going to say, if you're a DM and you like that, um, that sort of competitive style of play, there's actually, if you, if you balance everything, if you follow the rules exactly, then it can be done as long as you've discussed it with the players and say, yeah, this is the kind of game that I want to play. Um, you have to pay if you're if you're do, doing a custom job, something not made by Wizards of the Coast, you have to uh, pay attention to the daily encounter budget and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And no homebrews or anything like that. So most people aren't really super interested in having this kind of game without, you know, the same kind of narrative structure right. behind it. But there is room for that, but that is not the core of what D&D is supposed to be about. So just be very mindful of it and make sure it's something your players want. Um, yeah. Which actually leads into uh, your chapter two where you talk about knowing your players. Oh, yeah. Um, really, it, it's hard to give 
a lot of uh, universal advice in general because every table is just going to be so different. Like you talked about earlier, that example of what happens with that bandit encounter. Do uh, Does that player get the attack off? Does it not? A lot of players like, I'm so disappointed that I didn't get that attack off. Or other players like, oh, that's it. That's how the rules work. I, I'd prefer to just stick with it, even if it's not advantageous to me at the moment. Um, and so along those lines, you're going to have to pay attention to how much combat your players like, how good they are at combat. I, I have players who are very good at combat, so I have to throw like twice the normal challenge rating just to even, you know, give them even a little bit of challenge. Um, and then also what they like. Do they, um, are they into role play, gritty realism, epic fantasy, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's, and, and you go into a lot of really great detail on that, um, which is, I think is super important. We, we, I think we had an episode that talked about player archetypes uh-huh. um, back in the day. Wow, back in the day. I never thought I'd say that on the show. <laughs> um, where that was the, the, the whole premise is trying to understand your, your players. Is there a, is there a good way for the, the, the DM to quickly learn the type of players they have without playing uh, endless campaigns to figure it out um, that ask, you could recommend? Ask them. Do, do you, I guess, do they all know? Session zero. What do you want yeah. in the game? Oh, yeah, there you go. Okay, you made that much simpler. I thought that was going to be a much more challenging question, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, that's why it's just, just ask them. And I guess that kind of goes into... Uh, we talked about uh, DM etiquette. I think it goes the same for players. You have uh, uh, quite a bit of content in regards to uh, player etiquette. What are some mm-hmm. things that players can make sure to avoid so that they don't come off in a negative light uh, at the table? So this was something a lot of the research in doing guide to com- research for guide to combat came up with was that really a lot of the ways the players were handling things caused a lot of friction at the table. So. The number one thing, um, so I, I, I had two different results in two of the different polls. Like the number one thing on one of them was that combat was too slow. But on the other one, it was by far that players not knowing the rules. Yeah. Seriously, there is um, the combat section in the, in the player's handbook is 11 pages long. That's it. You could read that in a couple trips to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> And there's uh, after that, there's like, I don't know, two to five pages for your classes. You have no excuse not to read the rules if you're going to be playing for three or four hours a week. And I so that's pretty important there. I'm doing the anime lightning from my eyes to Brandon. It was a struggle to get him to learn the rules. He just had to come up on a show for D&D to learn. Eat my ass. <laughs> um, that's something that happens pretty, uh, pretty often. Um, actually, one of our listeners, John, uh, in, in regards to the previous question about understanding players, um, how do you how do you how do you learn what kind of player they are if they don't know if they're new? Um, you're going to want to pay attention to their body language a lot. Um, sometimes they'll talk. It is also how, do you know them personally? Are they your friend? Sometimes you'll you'll find if someone is uh, uncomfortable, their particular behaviors that they're going to do. I know this is kind of a hard thing to look for for a lot of DMs who aren't really um, who aren't really used to this kind of interaction as much. Um, over time, there might be some trial and error at first, and uh, after every session and before every session, you just say, "All right, how did that work out for you?" 
what did you think of that? What do you what do you think about this idea before you try it? Um, you don't have to give away spoilers, but if they don't know what kind of thing there, then yeah, just try and get a sense of it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. For a long time in my games, uh, and I haven't actually done it in a while. I probably should. I got a couple new players. Um, I would ask, hey, what did you like about the game? What didn't you like? Um, because I'd find that after like one or two of those questions, I'd learn what their focus is. Um, and developing a generic questionnaire that you can pass out to your team per what uh, uh, Silverwolf and, and Jom or, or, or New York Tater are talking about is once you get like a basic set of questions, and I, there's got to be one out there already. I bet if you Googled it, you would find one. You can write something that puts their character into a situation and determine how they will react. That might give you kind of some idea. Somebody, well, I can cut him up my axe, or I, I, you know, I cast magic. I want to use magic to, to fill the fill the the dam or whatever. You'll find that they will they will tell you even if they don't know. I think mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if that makes sense at all, but it made sense in my head <laughs> until yeah. I said it. What about the uh, second rule of uh, player engagement, which is the five second rule? You mean? Oh yeah, that's a good one. Um... You had your own little version of that. Do you want yeah. me to go first? Five seconds. Yeah, go ahead. All right, so five-second rule, simply put, is when a player's turn starts, they have five seconds to start talking about what they're doing. Um, you say, all right, Jen, it's your turn. And she waits like three seconds to say, all right, I'm going to take the disengage action, run away, and then shoot at the zombie over there. That kind of thing. And if they don't say within those five seconds, they forfeit their turn to a dodge action. Ooh. And they learn really quickly, really quickly to <laughs> pay attention to what's going on at the table. Because otherwise, you know, they might be on their phones or distracted, that sort of thing. I really like that because it's not just some DMs would just say, "You're, I pass your turn and I move on. At least by giving them the, the dodge action, there's something. Um, either yeah. they'll survive longer due to their hesitation um, or, you know, they learn that, well, that, okay, well, nobody attacked me and I took the dodge action for no reason. Well, that was complete and utter waste. Maybe I should pay attention. Um, mm-hmm. This is what I learned from the angry GM. I, f- I figure I should probably cite this, but it's been really useful for me. Yeah, I'm totally stealing that from both of you because that's a fantastic. Um, to all my players, two of which are sitting right here, um, from now on, you have 10 seconds. I'm going to start with 10 seconds. 10 see, second rule. The, the problem with this that I, I see, I see an issue with the rule, is that... We try to teach our players to think ahead, to watch what's going on. It's like, okay, what should I do next? And then something happens that completely throws off your mojo, your groove. And you're like, oh, fuck, i got to think of something else before it's my turn. But, I but, think, but the idea, though, is you're paying attention to what's going on, and you come up with your plan before your turn starts. Yes. <laughs> that, that, that's it right there. There's a difference between, okay, I'm thinking two moves ahead, and I'm going to mind control that org, ogre so that he'll, you know... Beat the, the, the orc with the goblin. Okay, the, somebody exactly. killed Yeah, What? Right, right there, Raven. And then some dumbass turns into a dragon. <laughs> and then your your plan doesn't work no more. Okay. Well, yeah, that, yeah, that will come up here and there, or, or some plan does an action that throws off what you're planning on doing for one reason or another. So like, yeah, sure, that will happen, but generally speaking, you should be. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast Fireball. Okay, well, that's not really going to change unless somebody else casts Fireball first and kills everything. But as long as you're engaged, I, I, I do think I do think you're right. There is a little bit of leeway there. But I don't know. The only person that really thinks that far ahead is right there. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't generally think it's going to affect my table that much. <laughs> I still laugh at the moment when like we were fighting. And I'm like, be right back. And stepped off the side of the ship and fell. <laughs> 
So, <laughs> moving on with, um, you know, to player, be fair, I was right back. <laughs> player engagement. There's something you touch on that I don't know that is, I, I don't know that we've ever covered. And that's talking about taking breaks. Oh, yeah. So, um, there's been some research to suggest that at least in a, co- like a college lectureship setting, there will be, um, uh, students can pay attention for maybe 20 minutes or so before they start to just tune out. What? D&D is interactive, so it's not quite the same, and they also want to be there most of the time. So, <laughs> um, it is a little bit longer, but I would suggest taking breaks, like a five-minute break or so every hour at least, just so that players get a time to, you know, uh, shift their gears a little bit, um, refocus. Use the bathroom. Uh, yeah, bio breaks, that sort of thing. Absolutely. Um, and that's something I don't think we've ever covered because I guess I don't take breaks. Very rarely do we take breaks, I think. Maybe I should cons- consider it. I take breaks when they fuck up my plans. <laughs> and then I gotta rewrite something in five minutes. Running six-hour sessions and you will start to take breaks. I guarantee it, especially if it's in person. Yeah, That's definitely something. I think even my three-hour games, we probably could afford to take a break here and there. Um, and I thought that that was really cool. Um, so you have a lot of this sort of content, but there's some um, there's some stuff you touch on that I think is even more interesting than just some of the the the, the roles to to <laughs> pun not intended mm. <laughs> the roles of engage the roles of combat and stuff you talk a little bit about uh ways to improve player creativity yeah. um and obviously we've all heard the the traditional matt mercer is it matt mercer that says you can certainly try yep um, yeah it's been I, around before that quite a while before that but he definitely popularized it like he popularized about a million things but right, right. <laughs> um can you tell us more about the different ways uh <laughs> to uh engage player creativity yeah it's really um being inviting in what you're talking about uh for example one of the things is the opportunities in the descriptions of what's going on in your combat um for instance, you could talk about a weak spot in the enemy's armor that might convince them to try something like that. Um, uh, chandeliers are obvious, falling on enemies, obvious example there. Ah, right, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like a, maybe say, oh, there's some blue stones hanging over the, the ceiling. That's another one. And then just in general, you can, you can always just prompt them and say, is there anything you want to do here in this? Like leaving open-ended questions is a big one. Like what do you do is a cliche or some see it as a cliche, but it's also great because it's open-ended. Yeah, and when you set up opportunities for players to do stuff and they don't take it, we'll go back to the chandelier because that's the most common one. If you've described the chandelier, they're middle of combat, and the players don't use it, eh, let the monster use it. I would love to have my orc drop a <laughs> chandelier on your head and then start laughing at you like a little punk. Lead by example. It's kind of like... <laughs> There was one I saw, uh, advice I saw about getting your players to role-play, and one of it was like, get your NPC, role-play your NPCs well, so that way your players can uh, take that as a social cue to respond in or, that Or way. for the, that matter, something we touched on in the past, too, is if you're in a situation and you think it's an object that has a reasonable chance of being there, let it be there. Mm-hmm. Like like if you're, like if a brawl starts in the dining room, for example... What, some people might go, I pick up this knife that's there and st- stabs on me with it. Well, you're in a dining room, so that makes sense to be with a knife there. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. uh, Sometimes your players might ask questions like, oh, is there uh, a knife nearby? Like, you know, like Ian said, and you could, um, if it makes sense, you could say yes. And just that sort of improv technique. 
can't help. Nope. But you want to make I I, I uh, I'm of the mind that you should definitely try and maintain internal consistency. Yeah. Some DMs will just say whatever the players want to do, just let them do it. I'm not one of those DMs. Just a heads up. <laughs> and that's can, okay. And yeah, and see, I th- we might be on opposite ends of the the spectrum there because when if this is why I'm more of a theater of a mind person over a grid, and I, I we'll talk about that in a little while. Is that I had an incident when I was playing on a grid, and the player said, hey, we're in this kitchen. Is there any kitchen knives? Well, mm-hmm. there's none of that stuff's on my grid. None of that. There's no pot and pans on my grid. But I'm like, well, yeah, it makes sense. That would be there. Why? Oh, I want to th- throw the, the knives, or I want to bang them in the head with a frying pan, or you know that classic cartoony uh, feel to it, or I'm going to ready my action to the next bad guy that comes through and beat him with my frying pan. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> um, stuff like that becomes creative and memorable. Even sure, it's technically an improvised weapon. I treated it as a maul because I didn't want to punish him for coming up with a clever idea. And then with a giant sized <laughs> pan, too. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> pan shot. Um, but there's a lot of situations where the players have said hey i want to do this is this here yes it is now because a i assumed it would be there or they assumed it would be there and it would make sense for it to be there so i've let them have a lot of creative control in my games because of that Mm -hmm. like um one thing issue i constantly ran i I, this i'll save this more i've got more to that but i'll save that when we get to the pros and cons of uh board and theater of the mind but um I like to give my players freedom of control. Yep. I know on many times they've walked into a merchant and I said, okay, what race and gender is behind the counter? What does it look like? You describe it. I don't mm-hmm. care. It doesn't matter to me what the merchant looks like, but I have to then make note that they said, okay, oh, it's a, it's an angry, angry uh, dwarf. I, what the hell do you want? You know, one of those things. And I make a note that I, so I remember it's the same, but I didn't put that NPC there. I didn't care. I knew a merchant was there. That's, that's all I really. That's about as much as I put thought into it. So, right. What are you buying? So I think that um, there is different DMs. Some people prefer to flesh all that stuff out. I take it you're one of those. You you prefer to like flesh all the NPCs and all that stuff out, maybe. Yeah, I improv some of them myself. Um, like some of the the merches that don't really matter. Uh, the, the extras, I'll flesh those out. But um, I. I find a lot of players actually enjoy it. it there's more ver, uh, vermicillitude. God, I can't. Um, the world feels more real right. when they they uh, they aren't seeing it made in front of them. Mm-hmm. When they feel like they're naturally walking into it, and I get it. so if everything's just in, indefinitely permeable, then that sense of immersion can be lost. But some players do just prefer to just make stuff up and shoot the shit, right. so to speak. And and I agree with you in the, in the fact that if you don't maintain it. So if I gave Ian, Ian created this NPC in this, this, this area and described it. If it then was somebody else every time you went back, it, it destroys the fact that that person was ever real. So I do agree that if you don't, if you don't do anything with that information, it's, it's worthless. But I think that in my, in, in this is my DMing style, that that's, that's something that's always been important to me. For two reasons. One, I'm fucking lazy. Uh, honestly, I'm going to be straightforward. I'm lazy. I don't I don't want to do all that work, and I don't need to do all that work. Uh, secondly, they've developed better attachments to creep people in places that they make. At least that in my experience. Right, Mr. Granite Outhouse? <laughs> that mother comes up in our show all the time because I let him build a granite outhouse. 
<laughs> I'm afraid to ask you anything like that. To be fair, it's more than just a grant. It's like, hey, Justin, what, what kind of a uh, person do you see behind the bar? Uh, it's a really big lady with a slack jaw, and she's got a, she's got a cleft. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> How you doing, guys? How can I help you? <laughs> I don't know. That's my personal feelings, but I definitely understand as a player being on that where I come in, and the DM already has a voice and a personality and a description for those locations. So, Not, not to be fair. That Grant Outhouse is just the tip of that iceberg. <laughs> yeah, literally. And it goes back to knowing your players as well. Not um, not all players are going to be comfortable with that kind of improv. Yeah. And if they're not interested in doing that kind of improv, then forcing on them is just going to make them pretty uncomfortable. Oh, absolutely. You want to be be careful of that. Uh, Jom says, yes. have you ever had players submit things that can happen while traveling since you use more player freedom? Uh, You've done that before, haven't I you? have done that. I've literally done that exact thing. Yeah, it's almost like, I sure hope we don't run into like bandits or something. You're like, hmm, guess what's going to happen now? <laughs> <laughs> but but not all those things are necessarily like combat encounters, too. I think one time, uh, and I know I stole this from somewhere, and dear God, I can't think of who it was. Uh, I think it was Esper the Bard, actually. And um, they were traveling, and they're like, man, I hope we don't run into anybody suspicious. So I basically took the suspicious <laughs> encounter that somebody was up watching late at night and heard some noise. So they were sneaking around and they came across two people in the middle of a deal. Didn't do anything. It was just them having some, you know, uh, a drug sale. I don't remember what I had it, but it was like some sort of sale between two suspicious looking characters. Skooma. Hey, um, got the stuff. Yeah, basically that's mm-hmm. all it was. And <laughs> that was totally there because somebody asked, uh, mentioned something about, I hope nothing weird happens tonight or nothing suspicious or something. So I was like, oh, I'll just toss that in. And that became uh, kind of a thing for that person who's on watch duty to do, you know. Um, and it became kind of memorable because then they started asking about those people. Like, do I see any evidence of that suspicious person in activity? I'm like, no. Um, you, you do see a bag of something similar, but it turns out it was just a drug. But, um, you know, I love the the... the the power of the players. And I think I've used mm-hmm. that as a player tip. I mostly, once again, just comes back to I'm lazy. <laughs> it's just easier on me. <laughs> um, I know, uh, I know Ian's wanting to ask about this next one. I, he's been wanting to, since I put it in the show notes. Why don't you go ahead? All right. One thing I actually like that you're talking address that most do not is you actually spend an entire page talking about metagaming. What's yes. your thoughts on that? Um, it depends. Um, well, as I said in the beginning of the section is that, first off, it's some people have difficulty, like the, the idea of con- metagaming to begin with is a strange concept because the entire game is a pretty meta thing. Right. Um, it's impossible not to metagame in Dungeons and Dragons, like hit points are a meta thing. So it's it's a question of where do you draw the line? Um, in From a situation, page. what's more important to you um, that... Uh, the players um, don't know about this the, the this uh, the vulnerabilities of this strange aberration, or that they um, that if they do know already, that they just kind of act like nothing is awry and like oh there is uh, there is this new monster I have never seen it before, even though they've read that entry already. And that in <laughs> of itself can be worse than just like. Oh yeah, that's one of those things. Let's go fight it. Right. And my take on it, generally speaking, is like you said, you it I definitely had encountered some people saying, I don't want any making whatsoever, but it's gonna happen on some level no matter what. Absolutely. And yet my other take too is at the end of the day, it's a game. 
don't mm-hmm. be surprised when people treat it as one. Yes. Exactly. Some people get so exactly. bent out of shape about that, though. Like I've like I've seen people like freak out just from telling another player what my player's current hit hit points are. Like 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 you're meta gaming. It's like no, it's part of the game design. <laughs> yeah. Yep. If it's really that big a deal to you that the players don't know the exact rules for all the monsters and stuff, don't make monsters that or just or, like homebrew monsters that they haven't seen before. If it's really that big a deal, I'm not. I don't have enough time for that. But maybe you could just buy some books that you know they haven't read. Or just like Monsters of the Guild right here. Or just grab a a stat block that's similar, but not quite the same. Or just call it something different. We've talked about reskinning a multitude uh, on the show. John points that out. That uh, I think when we had Gabe on, he said, yeah, I described uh, this alligator, that twin-headed alligator that regenerated or some shit. And it was just a troll, troll skin, but... The players never thought that, oh, maybe it's weak against fire or all this other stuff, because they never, I mean, they didn't assume that it was a troll based on how it fought and how it was described. Mm-hmm. So, And the other thing, too, is, like, don't police what other players, characters, know or don't know, because prove to everybody else that they don't know that. Right, <laughs> you right. You can't. <laughs> that, I, that's my personal take on that, too. Right, right. And what's this about players running combat? Ooh, I like this one. Okay, so there's a lot of, um... A lot of DMs like to delegate the tasks of the table to the players themselves. Um, you can get them to run the various monsters. You can get them, um, instead of having to do that all yourself, you can get them to help track initiative. Those are the two main ones. Um, I do present a number of pitfalls to this approach. Um, a lot of the, like one of the big ones that a lot of people don't consider is that if you're the DM, a lot of the fun comes from running these monsters and doing this kind of stuff yourself. So you want to you want to continue to have the, the the fun perks of being a DM. Um, there are other various uh, pitfalls, such as you know you can't cheat as much if you um, assign the monsters to players. Uh, it can you can run into uh, internal consistency issues. But you know you know Justin says that he finds it to be a great boon to his game. I, I find that good when you have like a character's control allied NPCs, for example, because it's one less thing for the DM to worry about, and a player's going to at least try on some level, especially when it's an ally, to try to use it in an optimal fashion. Right. Um, <laughs> we've touched on this before, and I think I actually got a lot of flack on it on Twitter when I posted the players <laughs> running monsters, and people gave me a bunch of arguments, but um, one thing that I found that if you get a character that's knocked unconscious and there's no way for anybody to wake them up, give them a couple of your monster stat blocks, turn them loose so they're not bored. Um, And that can definitely help the the DM uh, focus more on some of the other stuff that's supposed to happen next. Wait a second, why are you supposed to say anything way more efficiently? (laughs) (laughs) I gave it to Ian. (laughs) Um, But uh, I I love the idea of the players helping run combat, Um, and I think in our player tip we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. the, the other thing that I think is really cool is not just in the, the traditional sense of combat, but um, having them, uh, and I think maybe that's what Ian just touched on and I missed it because I was reading something else, is having them run um, the the other NPC ones, right? Because the, the dreaded DMPC is always a, a fear of people. Some of your players, like Ian's a really advanced player, so if I needed to run that quote-unquote DMPC, which you touch on having allies uh, in your games... But giving that to another player can help lighten my load as the DM, and so there's a lot you can do that outside of just regular monsters, which is which is pretty fantastic. Or hirelings, I think, is what they're called, right? Yep. So you can hire mercenaries to help you out. 
You'll forget that. Yeah. It's a thing. Which is different than DMPCs, because those, those usually... While in my experience, I haven't had any negative ones, but there's some DMs that just get out of control with that shit. The immortal mm-hmm. player and everything like that. <laughs> so... Early on in the, the book, you, you talk about familiarizing yourself with the rules. Um, in Chapter 3, you talk about understanding the system and familiarizing yourself. How does yeah. that different? How do you approach that differently than just saying, read the rules? There's a conceptual backdrop that is not explicitly written in the player's handbook about how combat works. For example, there's the action economy. And it's this concept that basically... Whichever side has more actions to take on its turns is going to have a massive advantage because the the game is set up such that every um, every character or creature can only take a certain number of actions, and um, you have so you have to be mindful of that when you're building encounters. Even if a uh, monster is CR, you know, seventeen or so, if it's just one monster. Um, Players well below the expected challenge rating can take it down just because it doesn't have that um, that advantage. Yeah, that's where uh, I think um, the whole idea of making sure you've got the right um, monsters that have like legendary actions in layer actions because those are designed right. to offset the action economy. Um, exactly. And that's really important when you're designing in com- combat encounters as well to, to fully understand that, hey – my players, there are six of them. They're all going to attack before my enemy attacks once. He's probably going to get destroyed. Um, so how can I offset that? In my in my in my show and in my games, I've actually taken monsters that don't have any of those and given them uh, various legendary actions and um, uh, lair actions that are in the same like damage or effect, the same thematically um, that have ge- allowed me to run. You know where you guys they fight one one boss like for instance when you guys fought the dragon uh <laughs> in the storm king's thunder uh thing they were fu- they were f- sailing over top of the sky on these ships and there was a multitude of things they could do but they were fighting pretty much one dragon by the time they cleared out the entire group so that c- dragon had multiple features and actions it could do from slowing down the enemies to or from slowing down the players not the enemies you are the enemies uh, <laughs> slow down the players uh batting them with their wings biting them on uh, other people's turns all those things offset the fact that it was one monster um and that's very very critical and you really sum that well up well really well in your uh guide to combat mm-hmm. thank you yeah and there's some other things in terms of uh understanding the system like just the innate entropy that kicks in at higher levels that you have to be uh, wary of is because there's so many variables that um, are introduced when you're, say, tier three, which is um, levels 11 through 16. Mm-hmm. And when you're in, because um, there are lots of different spells, that sort of thing, and not only them, also that the monsters get more complex. So you have to just be careful about... Um, these sort of unstated facts about um, how the game works. And you have to be really aware of these things when you start homebrewing monsters or not, uh, not just monsters, but um, classes, especially in general. That's a, that's a whole other issue there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We've uh, released three of our own class archetypes. First of all, I thought it would be a safer place to start than trying to design an entire class, but 
when you go through that process, you learn how much is actually involved. Because in my my opinion, the easy part was writing the stuff. The hard part was making sure it functioned and wasn't unbalanced or any of that sort of stuff. And the mm-hmm. same thing applies when you're building monster custom monsters. Um, right. There are guides in the DMG that help with that. But man, sometimes your monster will be surprisingly more powerful even when I stay within the bounds of that expectation because it's got so much wiggle room i guess is the right term i don't play room i don't know what i want to call that but and so it's it you gotta you really gotta be careful um that's Mm -hmm. why i think and i think some people understand that innately that's why homebrew is such a thing that is almost taboo at some tables oh no those people made it it doesn't have any of the the watsy touch well no but anybody that plays the stuff can help balance it that's why you if you do build something and you bring it to your table, make sure your team knows, hey, I'm trying this. If it doesn't work, uh, we'll retcon or we'll make adjustments on the fly. Yeah. Um, and a piece of advice I give in Guide to Combat about using homebrew materials is something, if you're not familiar with how homebrew works, if you're not experienced in detecting whether or not something is balanced, a, a cheat to that is actually you can look to see it, what kind of language the homebrew uses. If it, it sh- Good homebrews use... Um, concise language and that is uh uses the same terms as in the player's handbook and that sort of stuff so instead of saying oh yeah they make a perception check when they walk past this and say uh instead they would say uh if a creature walks up to a um walks within five feet of the poison trap they must succeed on a dc 15 uh dexterity parentheses saving throw or else take uh, 48 um, damage or half as much if the save is successful. Something like that. And that is really hard. One thing I've, I really try really hard is to do that. And sometimes I do stuff that I don't realize there's already a format for. Um, mm-hmm. And when you're doing homebrew, you're very you're right on point. Good homebrew will have done their research and find that Watsi has already done that in some form. So you can take that text and that block and that format and fit it into your your verbiage instead of just saying, oh, the trap has a DC of 15. Yes, Mm -hmm. let's face it, it was probably done in some way, shape, or form, in whatever way you're thinking of, in either 3.5 or 4th. There's a crap ton of stuff in both of those editions. (laughs) Think of it like copying lines of code. That's That's how I think of it. Yep. Yeah, I uh, went to school for programming, but I sucked, so I became a network engineer. You're talking to a, a psychology major, so. <laughs> so, um, but you're you're very right on that point. Uh, what about uh, speeding up combat? It is a oh, guide okay. to combat, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is another big one. Um, this is definitely one of the more demanded things is how do, is like, it takes 45 minutes to get through a, a combat with three monsters. How do I speed this up? All right. So here's the crash course. So you want to save time on initiative. You can do that by not rolling initiative. You can do that by rolling initiative ahead of time. You're also going to want to shorten the monster turns by picking monsters that don't have really complex abilities. Um, there are, um, if you're going to have lots of monsters, or if you have just one monster, it, you know, that can, it can still go pretty uh, fast. But if you have lots of monsters, you're going to want to have more simple ones that are just kind of big bags of hit points. And that do lots of damage when they smack you. <laughs> Meat bag. Um, try not, don't run spellcasters or just memorize one or two of their spells and just use those. If you if you are going to do that, um, in terms of saving time on monster turns, 
you also want to save time on player turns. Just a couple of things. Um, make sure the players know their characters. Have them um, have them roll their uh, their attack uh, attack rolls and damage rolls at the same time. You can reveal their defenses. Um, the monster AC. Most of the time, it's not going to be a big spoiler, so that way they you know you don't have to wait for the response to see if it hits. Um, employ the five second rule that we talked about earlier, and um, Speak quickly when you're running combat. You know, this frantic pace. Okay, and the goblin's charging at you, and they level the spear at you and thrust it right at you. Now, what do you do? And um, there is also the fact that if the fight is completely... There's no way that the enemies are winning. You can always just wrap it up early. Yeah, and absolutely. With all these things, you know, they might seem kind of small individually, but when you put them all together, you can cut your combat time in half. Absolutely, and I, I, I think your five-second rule definitely is going to have a big impact on that, because I use the, uh, you ever play Pictionary, you get the little hourglass? Yeah. For like two years, I used that, um, because my players wouldn't stop, you know, spending an hour staring at the board, but not actually <laughs> doing anything. So I says, well, when it runs out, your your turn's done, moving on. Okay. You make a basic <laughs> attack. You know, you know what I think would be a great parody monster? As if uh, it's an elderly wizard or whatever, and he's got a bunch of Addies, and the party kills all the Addies, and he's the only one left, and everyone just starts coming up on him and just dies of a heart attack. <laughs> what the hell? I'm like, oh, that was easy. No XP for you. Uh, when he said, like, talk quickly, <laughs> I briefly in my head pictured an auctioneer GM. Well, I guess I can hear my fireball balls. The first one rolls a 16. That's going to be missing. This one rolls 17. That's a hit. He takes six damage. This one attacks. He, he misses. <laughs> Am I dead? Hell no. Is that what happened? <laughs> <laughs> um, you go into a lot of detail in, uh, in revolves and how to deal with cheating and, and, um, the optional rules in the, the DMG. There's so much content here. We obviously can't cover it all. I mean, you got several pages on this stuff. And the one thing, um, that I really wanted to talk on is, uh, you, you talk about morale. Can you tell us about this, uh, this mechanic you, 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 you touch on as far as an optional rule? Yeah, this is in the dungeon master's guide. So, um, a lot of players find this, or a lot of DMs find this interesting, especially if they've run war games before. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's the rule is if there's, um, let me actually just find it here where I, um, where I put that, but. Page 32. Basically, they have to make a, a wisdom saving throw if they are in, the monsters do, if they're put in a tough spot, obviously the player character is immune because they're player characters. And basically how I recommend you do it is, my personal recommendation is just you role play it out. If you, in general, my I found that if you don't have to roll the dice as the DM, it's better to just skip rolling the dice. And that's another thing about speeding up combat. I forgot to mention there's an average damage value for all the monsters. Just mm -hmm. using that will save you a lot of time. Absolutely. And what can you tell us about what? Uh, this is something I was I just saw. And I was like, oh, hey, this is going to be a good one. And that's grids versus theater of the mind. Oh yeah. So this is a this is a pretty big one. It is. And the schools of thought are vastly different here. Um the first thing I've run into is like a big misconception about grids and is that that people calling it using miniatures, even the Dungeon Masters guy calls it using miniatures. But it doesn't have to be with physical miniatures, and because of that, people get this impression that you have to spend hundreds of dollars on finding miniatures and using the right ones or else just using ones that are really inappropriate. And I say, no, fuck that. Get, um, <laughs> buy some, buy, like print out these tokens 
you know, like I made some and included them in the guide, though. You could obviously make your own, print out these tokens, paste them on cardboard, and just use those. That's what I do at home. It works perfectly. Um, you can get all the complexity of grid combat with that. And there's some pros to con- pros and cons to each uh, grid combat and theater of the mind. Um, and you go into quite the the bit of the detail on these. Um, the one thing that I really I that I, I kind of want to hear your your thoughts on as far as um, the the gridded combat is the joys and miniatures. You you mentioned that yes. you don't need all these things, but there's there's actually a bit of enjoyment in having really nice in in uh, fancy little creatures that you can paint and do all this stuff with if you mm-hmm. if you like there's actually a joy that comes with it that's not even related to the game in general i think yes and i'm i'm someone like i know this better than most people i play warhammer uh, more specifically kill team i collect warhammer miniatures i've gotten pretty good at painting them and i have them up on my shelves right now um it's something I really like to do. So it's a completely legitimate thing to collect them. And, you know, there might be some times where you're like, you know, it's worth me getting these miniatures for this one big encounter so I can set this up and then players can feel like there's something special going on right now. You know what? And, and the re- that's the reason right there that I want to touch on it because I do theater of the mind. But mm-hmm. I did something very different for our final climax to our, our campaign, <laughs> didn't I, guys? Yeah. Yep. I yeah. I changed it completely. I printed off giant airships and put them up on tables. I have a like a a 14 inch dragon that I use. I don't ever use that stuff, but I could <laughs> not wait to go out of my way to give my players an ending battle that would go above and beyond anything that I had done before. Because while I prefer theater of the mind, it's quicker, it's faster, and it's less work on me. Mm-hmm. That final combat, I needed. I needed. I needed specific rules. I needed distances. I needed. I needed them to yep. be able to know where all the little gizmos were on the ships and stuff like that. And and to me, there's something to be said that that has uh, uh, quite the payoff, especially if you don't use it all the time. And mm-hmm. I think I think Ian would probably yeah. want to weigh in on what he thought compared to how I normally do it because I really did it for him. Yeah. I love great combat for lots of reasons. <laughs> I. I as we said before, I just love combat in general, and then just like how it opens up a lot more technical options. I just don't think you have with the of the mind. And the other mm-hmm. thing too is everything is relatively speaking out in the open, so it kind of helps keep everyone honest, for lack of a better phrase. And one thing of the mind game I played, I'm like, I cast fireball, GM. Okay, you hit two guys. What do you mean I just hit two guys? Whereas we had a miniature, I won't even have to ask that question in the first place. <laughs> right. And, and you're right, there is some some kind of way to go there. And I think, once yeah. again, when it comes to theater of the mind, I prefer it because of... Speed. Speed, mostly, and I'm lazy. And I before I did this, <laughs> I did all the tactical tiles. I made my own tiles, my own... I got little dioramas over here. They're, they're neat. And, and I enjoyed that. But the older I get, the less I have time for that. <laughs> yeah. It really is that. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But uh, it, it honestly, it's just faster, and I can get through way more content. So... I mean, really, uh, how many games have you, campaigns have you been in that I've actually finished, Ian? Um, depends on how you define finish, I suppose, but I'd say about four. And one of them was just recently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think the only reason we made it as far as we did is because, uh, I chose to do Theater of the Mind instead of all the little tile setups like I used to do. But that Mm -hmm. being said, Theater of the Mind, you're right, there's no room for argument of whether you can hit something or not. So, yeah. 
Um, By the way, um, just a quick tip about grids and um, just getting things set up quickly. If there if there aren't uh, maps available for you to print out, like a lot of uh, the Waterdeep Dragon Heist thing, you can actually just print that out. And so you don't have to set up any tiles or anything. Um, and then there are wet erase maps that I use, and those are pretty quick. But yeah. actually, I don't always do uh, grids. I kind of save that for the bigger fights, and then I use a hybrid system for most. Right, right. Uh, very cool. Um, keep it in mind, um, there is so much more to this book, but unfortunately yeah. we're running out of time. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, there are 40, what, 45 pages in this book? 46 pages, something like that? 49. Of amazing content. Uh, this book is absolutely amazing. Uh, Darren, is there anything else you wanted to throw out there about it before we close out? Yeah, um, there's some other things that we go over in here. We go over tactics and we go over narrative, how to describe things. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, those are uh, variably important uh, factors in a game. But um, But more in general, the biggest piece of advice I could give to DMs who want to run combat is read the Dungeon Master's Guide. Like, seriously, so many DMs just skim a few of the chapters and like, oh, we're good. No, no, no. Read it cover to cover. You will not regret it. I agree. There's so many little gems in there. That You know, honestly, a lot of our DM tips come from the Dungeon Master Guides, but not just 5th editions. All the previous ones. I've got them all, except for 1st. And there's so much nuggets of information sparse throughout those things that if you just glazed over it, you would miss so much knowledge. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I agree 100%, man. Um, I also really like your segment on hazards and obstacles, but we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit in our DM tip. So uh, I think that'll do it for our main topic today, Drids Dordan's Guide to Combat. Like I said, guys, there is so much more than we've covered in this and so much finer detail that Darren has included into it that just A, makes you a better DM and B, makes you a better player. On both sides of the table, this is useful for anybody regardless of what side you play on and in my opinion is a must-have because it really will just make you better. And that's what we're all after, making the experience better for everyone involved. So definitely pick it up. You can pick up uh, the copy of the product in our show notes. Um, That being said, before we move on to our final segment, we have one more gift to give away. Compliments of Loresmith. Each episode, we will draw another lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the best-selling adventure, The Claws of Madness. Compliments of Loresmith. Lawsmith is a small indie team of creative artists who remember exploring the realms together with friends, finding oh. incredible places, and meeting colorful characters along the way. They set out to deliver an experience that sparks those lasting impressions that pushed them to create their first standalone adventure, The Claws of Madness. This best-selling adventure is one that you don't want to miss. <laughs> Darren, who's our winner today? Our winner is Shortman Ian four 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 on Twitch. Congratulations! Don't fall. My chair just broke again. Again. Get, one day get a chair, it. man. <laughs> I've got one. I just I haven't carried it out here. <laughs> Congratulations, Shortmanian44 on Twitch. Uh, email us to collect your prize. If you enjoy the adventure, please leave Lorsmith a review. And now, what you've all been waiting for. Our Unearthed Tips and Tricks segment, where we bring you new and reusable material to both players and DMs. 
every week, man. <laughs> our, our first honor tips and trick, our character concept, comes from you, Darren Scott. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this bad boy? So I had an idea for a player character, and this came from, I mentioned earlier in the show that there was um, one of my players might be running a game, and we were thinking Ghost of Saltmarsh. So I had the idea, Zombie Pirate. <laughs> and... Um, that's why I want my guy to be. Obviously, there's no zombie player race in the player's handbook. Um, there was a article published on Unearth Arcana for the Revenant, and that's definitely an option. Um, but it's got some balance issues. So in the show notes, there should be a um, a link to the Revenant race that I um, I made in one of my products, and it's I I would call it more balanced than the other ones. And um, so you can use that if you want to run this race or this character. Um, in terms of the class, there would be two main options. The simplest one would be to play the swashbuckler from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Yes. Um, the second one would be if you want to use the um, Matt Mercer's gunsmith or gun, gunslinger mm-hmm. subclass from the fighters. I also have um, Matt Mercer... Uh, when he made that subclass, it's good as far as early 5th edition goes, but it still didn't change a lot of the concepts of Pathfinder, and so it doesn't really have a lot of... The, it, it's not really suited to the 5e principles as much as it could be, so I also have a product that's a revision of that. You can get that for free. Mm-hmm. That's also linked in the show notes. Um, and depends on what kind of firearm you want. Do you want to have like a, a pirate with a Bunderbluss or with a... Um, a six-shooter pistol. And, of course, as a backup, you could have a rapier, that sort of thing. And uh, I think it could overall uh, be a really fun um, character to play because especially if it's a revenant, you could have a grudge in your character backstory that you're trying to settle. And like, I am after the, the one who stole the third coin of the, the seventh collection and the treasure that we stole on the 17th run. <laughs> and then five other guys, but we don't talk about them yet. <laughs> I like the uh, reserve for tier three. <laughs> when I first, uh, when you first shared the, this Revenant uh, concept with me um, and you talked about wanting to do an undead pirate. First thing that came to my mind was the guys from, uh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean. And <laughs> where you seem like this awful, horrible person, but playing as a, as a good character, you totally can be just trying to fix yourself. Maybe that's not how you originally were built, or maybe you're trying to lift a curse. Or if you're out for blood, why is your guy out for blood? Did somebody uh, turn him that way? Did is 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 his... Um, is the reason he come back only because he's out for blood? Does it end... Uh, does it end when he achieves his goal? Something like that really, I think, would be a lot of fun. I love the idea of, like, flavoring it when you use, like, you mentioned your gunslinger. If you use the pistol and every time you shoot it, like, a finger falls off or something, you gotta put it, you gotta put it back on. <laughs> Hold up in this combat. I call a parlay while I fix myself. <laughs> That's kind of one of the first things that came to my mind is like every time you take a blow, you could have a lot of fun with dismemberment and then like the magic just returns it back to the way it was um, because you're this undead revenant thing. And to me, that's just <laughs> hilarious. Or if you if a play, somebody stabs you and you miss, it just passes through your through your ribs and through your body. You know what I mean? It doesn't hit anything, you know, important. Um, at least that's kind of what went through my mind when I saw this. Um, 
And I think it would be a lot of fun, especially fitting the ghost, uh, ghosts of Saltwater Marsh is what it is, I think. Yeah, Salt Marsh. Salt Marsh um, just sounds uh, fantastic. I've linked uh, in the show notes both the Revenant, which is actually the Creatures of the Night Gothic playable races. comes with three other races. I think it's for, what, 80 cents, I think? It's pretty. That's uh, 80 cents, but the, the text for the Revenant itself is from, the, um, from that product, but it's linked and you don't have to pay for that. Oh, awesome. Well, that was very nice. Um, so here we go. There's uh, I included the Gunslinger as well uh, on here in the show notes because I forgot to do that earlier, so it is now there. And I also posted them in our chat for our uh, Twitch followers. So I think this is an awesome. The the Revenant Pirate would be just a lot of fun. I think um, <laughs> I think this would really be one of the most fun I could have in a flavor wise when I take damage because there's not a lot you can. You can only do so much if your character is like normally quote unquote mortal. Um, but with something like this, like losing an ear, losing a nose regularly, like walking around and finding you're allergic to something and sneezing, your nose come flying off. <laughs> or after combat, you're like, hey, could you help me find me boot? My foot. <laughs> my foot is still in it. <laughs> Turns out you got a peg leg just while you look for your regular leg. <laughs> <laughs> you're just doing a pogo stick the whole round face. <laughs> oh, God. I love this character concept. Thank you so much, Darren, for uh, sharing it with us. Um, that is our character concept of the day, the Revenant Pirate. Har. Um, our monster variant of the podcast today is the Foul Spawn Berserker. Foul Spawn are deranged humanoids corrupted by contact with the Far Realm, a maddening and distant plane. Foul Spawn gather in roving packs and are drawn to serve powerful, aberrant creatures such as oboliths, beholders, and mind flayers. Um, <laughs> So now this is actually a surprisingly low-level monster. Foul Spawn Berserker's origin stat block you're going to use is the Darugar, and you're going to give it a few uh, new features. Something of note, if you do when you use the stat block, uh, instead of taking the average that, of hit points that's in the monster manual, you're going to maximize it, because we're going to use a feature called Bloodied. Um, a creature with less than half its hit points becomes bloodied. This is an, uh, one of the amazing mechanics that i loved in fourth edition because it created dynamic uh boss encounters by changing the way they fought or giving them new abilities halfway through combat and it also you're going to give it the berserker feature called reckless so at the start of its turn it can gain advantage on all melee attacks but all attacks against it also have advantage so keep that in mind uh that does two things it increases his chance to hit and it increases the odds that he's going to get his bloodied condition and that's where shit gets a little interesting um when he becomes bloodied at half hit points he gets Berserker Aura. A creature that starts or ends its turn within five feet of the Foul Spawn Berserker must succeed on a DC-12 Wisdom saving throw or become charmed. While charmed this way, slimy blue and purple tendrils appear from its mouth, eyes, and ears. The charm target must use its action before moving on each of its turn and make a melee attack against a random creature. At the end of its turn, it can repeat its saving throw against this effect. Um, it is worth noting, this is one of the few monsters where taking the dodge action is very beneficial, because if he can manage to sucker everyone into the Berserk Aura and just take the dodge action, <laughs> he's less likely to be uh, destroyd by uh, the random attacking. Um, it is also, also worth noting that they get the uh, uh, the enlarge feature from the Durigar in the uh, save advantage against saves against poison, illusion spells, and charms, or paralyze. So really, the focus of this is to basically use this character to rush in to a group of melee characters or a group of just any enemies and try to get them to beat the shit out of themselves. 
What do you think about this, Darren? I, I really like the sort of uh, insanity concept behind it. it. It has an eldritch feel to it. Like when I when I read the um, the the tendrils coming out of the the eyes, mouth, and nose, I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> that's some body horror shit right there. Um, but um, yeah, and there there's some things that also came to mind in terms of like the bloody mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, Fifth edition actually has some monsters that use things that are similar, like for example, the Quagoth. Oh. I forget the exact HP value, but after it reaches a certain threshold, it has an advantage on attack rolls and does an extra D10 damage or something like that on each of its attacks. Ooh. Um, so I would suggest instead instead of saying half hit points, just say when the uh, Faust, when the Berserker reaches X HP, just a set value, um, the following happens, and then ah. you could say. Um, uh, when, when, when a creature starts its turn within, uh, five feet, it has to succeed on a saving throw or be charmed, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. In terms of the reckless ability, I, I definitely got how this, uh, this monster projected insanity onto the players, but the monster itself didn't, I didn't get the sense of insanity conveyed through the stat blocks in terms of how its personality would be. So something a little bit more unpredictable of reckless, like, for example, maybe, um, when it's below a certain hit point threshold, there's a chance it could just do reckless randomly every turn. Ooh. That's interesting. Sort of like the clay golem. Ah, I like that. I see what you're saying. Having something that's a little more random with the the berserker feeling. <laughs> but the the bloody aura thing, or the berserk aura, that's a, that's a solid feature. Um, yeah, I guess that would just be my uh, critique in general. Well, I appreciate it. What do you guys think? I think it's a pretty nice touch. I mean, I had to go up against something like this, which means it'd be awesome. I, I don't know. I haven't really been charmed before, but I think I'd find pleasure in hitting my teammates. <laughs> oh god, <laughs> I think you're not alone there. Um, this could be this could be very dangerous oh, because yeah. if you think there's some features that trigger, like sneak attack, triggers with a set of conditions. Um, so even a normal attack can become very deadly. Um, and there's always the risk of critical strike. So. Um, I like this monster. I love the idea of having a, a good monster, uh, not a good monster, that's terrible verbiage, um, having a monster <laughs> that fits that aberrant theme, because I feel like the monster manual is missing some of these, um, but that I didn't go through all the Volo's Guide or Mordenkainen's either, so there probably are more than that, but I, like um, I try to keep all the monsters based on the monster manual, so people that just have the one book can get the most out of it. Um, mm-hmm. to, to me, this is fun. I love the idea of it working for an Aboleth or a Mind Flare and being its kind of, its muscle. And you yeah. could even, if you really wanted to make like a higher level version of this, you could change the, the, the Berserk aura to make them roll on the madness tables as well, which is something I had considered, but figured it was too much for a low CR monster. Yeah. Short term madness can be brutal. Like you roll like uh, even like a modestly bad roll can just take you out of the fight, that entire combat. <laughs> yeah, it can really F your <laughs> shit up, uh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd also like to give a shout-out to Tater and Joan for changing our show's rating to or from M to X. <laughs> Thanks, guys. What the hell is going on in chat? I don't uh, know. All I see is Tentacle-sama. Ooh, oh, Tentacle-sama. No, okay. <laughs> so moving something on. about Tater saying spooging on the board again. <laughs> no, no. All right, so... Uh, 
Our show may not be suitable for young children or adults. Some adults. We need to stop saying maybe. We just need to start saying it's not suitable for kids. Just stop. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That'll do it for our monster variant, the House Spawn Berserker. Darren, would you like to tell us uh, about our encounter idea here? All right. So uh, the encounter idea was a fantasy terrain called Blood Rock. Um, This bloody rock outcropping is the site of brutal ritualistic combat. Barbarians often fighting full of hate and rage as their bloody sweat soaks into the sand. Blood and sweat. Uh, the bloody area has an aura of power that seethes up from it, so much uh, so that the invisible tendrils of hate fill anyone that stands there. A creature who enters or starts its turn in the area of the blood rock must succeed on a DC 14 wisdom saving throw. On a failure, they toss aside all concern for defense and um, attack in fierce desperation. They have an advantage on melee attacks, attack rolls, but attack rolls against them have uh, advantage as well. It's sort of like the breakfast feature. Yep. In terms of tactics, uh, tactics this is a great option uh, for using uh, in head-on battles with many of the combat uh, brutes that have high HP. You don't need to worry about any of them falling too quickly due to enemies having an advantage against them either. Also, consider uh, consider using creatures that can take the dash and disengage action as bonus actions, such as spies or goblins. It's a great way uh, for offsetting weaknesses like sunlight sensitivity or debuff spells like Bane or Vicious Mockery if used correctly. Those of you who don't know, we're developing a new product in the works called Fantastic Terrain with the idea of adding environmental uh, effects that favor positioning. Um, whether it's the enemies or the allies, and grants them some sort of benefit of being in the area. Um, this one is one we had written up that actually went really good with the Foul Spawn Berserker. Um, so I tossed it in here. Um, the idea being that you bring them to this ritual area that when they're fighting, it grants quite the offensive advantage to enemies. By using creatures such as the Spy and Goblins who can run in, get the advantage, and then run out... Um, without any risk to themselves, really gives them the benefit without any of the drawbacks and creates for a very highly mobile um, and positioning-centric game. What do you think, Darren? I think it, this this has the potential to be pretty fun. Um, I would also want to emphasize the RP aspects of this is great. Um, this is prime grounds for RP, in my opinion. This like all right. So you f- you feel reckless. You're you're just full of rage. How, what is your character saying now that they're uh, about to attack? Like what feelings are they having? Um, does something from their past come up? Anything about their other players? That, uh, or sorry, other player characters? The tensions? Do any of those boil up? That sort of thing. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. You're a genius. That is that is awesome because that's a great way to pull out like those dark thoughts that they have, their characters would be having, but wouldn't otherwise say. Right. Oh. Have you, uh, have any of you ever read the Stormlight Archives series? Yes. You had to mention the Stormlight Archives. <laughs> I'm reading it again uh, through audiobooks, uh, and I'm just about to start Oathbreaker. Love that shit. Sorry, well, continue. Are you technically reading yeah, it. Yeah, no, it reminds me of the thrill that they talk about the Alephi having. Yes! Oh my god. Very much like that, where this constant urge to, to engage in combat and blood and in oh my god that totally wasn't inspired by it but damn you're spot on with the thrill 
I just read it too, so <laughs> it's, it's a little fresh in my mind. He just needs to stop before Justin's hard on his table so hard and knocks out our audio equipment. <laughs> um, yes, uh, what do you guys think about this sort of fantastic terrain, the Blood Rock? It definitely mixes up some uh, combat sessions pretty well, and I like the fact that your deepest secrets of hate can come out. Yeah, I, that's I can, genius. I can definitely see stuff like that being interesting when it happens to the Paladin. Oh, yeah. Potentially things that are pulling at him. Oh, like, yeah. oh, I can't do a spoiler. I almost did a spoiler alert for, for one of the That stupid rogue! I, I can't believe it's still I've been doing it! <laughs> I think that uh, with a paladin pulling it towards the things that could cause them to be oath breakers, like those little yeah. things that could cause them to lose that, lose that oomph that gives them what they need and pulls them closer to it. Oh, expect. Oh, like that would maybe have them make a wisdom saving throw to see. All right, what's gonna what's gonna matter more, your oath or or these this this violent urges which is going to win. Yeah, dude, that is so dope. Jokes on you. Especially if it's like for like reasons that sound just like oh this person I'm fighting alongside with killed someone and he's probably a menace to society, but my oath says I can't do it, but right now I'm I'm filled with all this violence and I I want to exact it right now, so which is going to win out? <laughs> the and thrill. Then your head explodes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like stuff like this. Once again, I like because it's a specific area. So as a DM, you'll notice that I didn't say how big the area is. You can make it as big or as small of an area. If it's like a, it can be as small as like a ritual sacrifice post where people do uh, in, in, I hate, I, I know you hate when I do Yu Yu Hakusho, but in Yu Yu Hakusho, they have this <laughs> one battle where they, they grapple and then they put knives up to their feet. And it's a small, probably five foot, 10 foot square that they're in. They're battling like sumo wrestling. And and people, you know, die in this fight. So you could totally have this a small area that one person's getting the advantage of. So whoever steps into it gets advantage on melee, but yes. they also have the attackers have advantage on them too, right? Yes. Right. I would love to see a wizard That's walk why, um... <laughs> He's so fucked if that happens. Could be a challenge. Maybe an orc grabs him, drags him into it to this 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 area of blood and lust and wants to spill the wizard's blood. You know? Mm -hmm. You totally can do that. All right, well, I really like this concept. I do think it would be interesting to put a big boss in it who has, like, a cleave mechanic or something like that. And oh, yeah. the players have to do everything they can to get him off of this circle that's empowering him, this area that's empowering his attacks and stuff like that. So I think that'll do it for our encounter of the podcast. Um, fantastic terrain, Blood Rock. Um, keep an eye out. Uh, we have a product coming out soon called the... Uh, challenge accepted it's full of honor or it's full of skill challenges and a small collection of our fantastic terrain that'll be out in another product uh, down the road so uh keep an eye out for those brandon would you like to tell us about our magic item magic item for the show is a stone skin robes it is a wondrous item and it is rare in battle stone colored robes is enchanted to protect its wearer from this devastating blow by temporarily turning the wearer's flesh into stone. You gain a plus one bonus to AC against melee or ranged weapon attacks while you are wearing the stone skin robes. In addition, when you are hit by an attack, you may use your reaction to speak the robes command word to cast stone skin. You don't need to concentrate on this stone skin to maintain it dur to maintain it during its duration. <laughs> this effect lasts for one minute. If the hit against you is a critical hit, it becomes a normal hit. Once used, this effect can't be used again until the next dawn. Yes. 
Darren, what do you think about this? It's a pretty good <laughs> item. It's obviously very useful. I, I, there's a lot of great um, flavoring behind it. The flavoring all uh, meshes together, which is which is what you want in a magic item. Uh, just kind of a, a coherency. The big disadvantages of stone skin are that it's um, obvious in a lot of circumstances it's just not worth it because you have a gold cost every time you want to cast it and it takes a full action. And this rogue just says, like, you don't have to deal with the consequences or, like, the downsides of stone skin. You get all the upsides plus a uh, plus one bonus to AC and also you don't have to worry about concentration and it negates critical hits. Like, Probably should be very rare. Damn. That's um that that's pretty good um and so there's nothing inherently wrong with that approach I will just say that much I would probably increase it to very rare or maybe shorten the duration to ten minutes instead of an hour. Um, uh, I thought it only lasts for a minute. Yeah, this effect lasts for one minute. It's not an oh, hour. Oh, for one minute. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I read that wrong. <laughs> Mister Designer has been beaten in his own game. <laughs> No, because uh, I think the spell inherently lasts an hour, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess my mind just jumped to that. So um, it's one-time <laughs> use. It only lasts for one combat encounter, um, but also provides a plus one AC bonus. To my understanding, the plus one uh, bonus instantly makes an item, what, rare? Uh, depends if it's armor or a weapon. If it's a weapon, it can be uh, uncommon, but if it's armor, it's uh, rare. Yeah, in this case, this item is very rare and requires attunement. Overall, uh, flavor seems to be really good. I like um, that I this is something that's meant to be for more of the squishy type characters um, mm-hmm. as kind of a one-shot item that it can defend them against that oh shit moment. I mean, if right. you're, you're a wizard and the big burly, you know, troll has got his giant spiked tree and he's about to beat your face in with it, this is a good react, good use of reaction. Um, the fact that it lets you get the benefits of a spell as a reaction is definitely powerful. Um, I was treating it along the lines of like the shield spell, but it is only one time use, and the duration for stone skin is significantly reduced down to a minute. And that was kind of the idea; it'd be a one hit wonder sort of thing. Um, but uh, what do you guys think, Ian? It can definitely be a good oh crap button to hit every now and then. That might bail you out. Fair enough. Hey, that's a good way to save my ass. I could use it a few times. Yeah, we'll see. Um, oh, something we'll see. that actually I thought it would be really cool to see is just a little bit more description about like the flavoring of this robe. You call it stone color, which is great. But I want to think of when I think of this robe, I think of like what is the texture like? You know, what is it like when it flows? Because I think that um, this could have a really interesting look. But does it harden when it, mm-hmm. uh, something comes into contact with it? I guess that's kind of what I've uh, envisioned. Right. Because would the robe still move if it was, you know, I guess magic? The robe is complete <laughs> with a large, light and dark gray. Uh, with I the d- nice vines of mossy green <laughs> going down the sides as it's trim. And as you walk, it makes a slight rumbling stone sound. <laughs> well, there you go. Next time you can write the magic items. <laughs> That's supposed to be my responsibility anyway. It is. Um, you <laughs> failed. Got a Gucci label on it. Yeah, I did a Gucci it. label? <laughs> <laughs> we'll just call it the gray. <laughs> right? oh my god or you can be like share just gray 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 uh, I'm, wearing a, I'm wearing a gray that'll do it for our magic item the stone skin robes <laughs> our dungeon master tip is traps as terrain effects adapt some traps to fit some terrain in combat situations for example 
When a player character, or an ogre, wants to push a wagon down a slope, use the rolling sphere trap. You may need to scale the damage just as the object a little bit, but no big deal. Any heavy object suspended above the encounter area can use the collapsing roof, including th things such as, such as drawbridges being brought down during a combat scenario. Or a poison dart trap can be representing a person being tossed a bee's nest. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, one thing I, I, I see that a lot of people, a lot of DMs do is they come up with all these different ways to try to build a mechanic for a situation when you really can use existing mechanics that are already tested um, and have set DCs and have set damages and just call it something else. I mean, is the players really going to spot the difference that you threw a wagon at them, but it was actually the boulder trap? They ain't going to know. Um, same thing with like the, the bees or wasp nests or insects attacking a player, treating it more like a poison dart or uh, the, spear, the spear gauntlet type traps is a good way to reuse those in different scenarios to get more, uh, more out of them. What do you think, Darren? I, I do think uh, that something that comes to mind for me is I've just worked with so many of like the different traps that it, uh, reskinning isn't even something that happens in my head. I'm like, okay, what kind of trap do I want? I want a falling wagon. Not, I would just naturally write it out similar to a falling boulder. I just write, and, and even in my notes, I don't even actually write it all out in terms right. of how I'd write it out in a product because that would just take way too long. I just say DC 14. 46 budgeting and then i then i narrate it out and i think that comes to all the time you spent developing and designing and i don't think most dms have that that well, i don't think that i guess i could be wrong i don't know most dms i just know myself and i can't think of that stuff on the fly so this was invaluable to me mm -hmm. like, i was just thinking of it too like uh i'm trying to think of what would um what would replace like a spike trap what do you mean? Like, you're not trying to replace it, you're trying, like... To, to reflavor. Like, instead of using a bowler, you're using a wagon. If a, uh, a spear shoots up out of the ground, what, what would, what could you use instead? Instead of, uh, a, instead of attacking, uh... Thorn bushes? Yeah, thorn, thorn, thorn bushes. bushes, or instead of an army of arrows being, uh, laid down on a player. You know how players are escaping a, bar a small contingent of archers? You don't have to roll attack for every single one. Just treat it as a spear trap. Ooh, a colony what I would use it for. Oh, ooh, a colony of fire ants. Oh, a colony, colony of, of fire, fire ants? ants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I was, I was saying um, you step on a Lego. That's what it is. Oh, <laughs> God. Hey, or Brandon. Or Yeah, I was going to say, Brandon, how much uh, damage do you take when you step on a D4? Enough? One D4 piercing. Oh my god. <laughs> no? I thought it was funny. Whatever. <laughs> There's a lot you can do with this, and mostly it's a, a efficiency thing and a, a balance thing, too. Not everyone's as masterful as Darren when it comes to developing traps and everything. So if you're unable to do that, you can reflavor existing stuff. Or the same thing, if you make your own traps and you want to get more use out of them without springing the same trap, you can reflavor them as natural environmental hazards. So. I totally forgot to mention what I was going to say is in Guide to Combat, we have a fat list of environmental hazards, natural environmental hazards. There's like a, there's like 16 of them. Yep. We, uh, I actually poked <laughs> a nod at that earlier because I knew that our dungeon master tip was terrains for traps. So, mm -hmm. um, that, I mean, 16 is a lot. So you definitely got to, uh, yeah. you got to check it out. Damn it, Tater. He says, dad joke gone bad. Yeah. That's like every joke I've got. Um, that'll do it for our Dungeon Master tip, Traps as Terrain Effects. Our player tip of the podcast is... Don't, don't be a dick! dick.
He tried. He he was close. Yeah, he was close. Yeah. That's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> Track initiative for the DM. Now, in Dritz Doerden's Guide to Combat, you give many examples for tracking initiative. And my favorite one is let the player do it. I suck at tracking initiative. I cannot tell you how many times I've forgotten for one of these people to go. How often does that happen, Ian? Uh, Enough? Yep. Enough. Quite often, actually. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, moving forward, somebody else is going to be in charge of tracking initiative because I simply just suck at it. So, this is by far one of my favorite tips from this thing because it needs to be done. I yeah, I'm, I'm going to use this tip when I start campaigning. Justin, you're going to help me keep oh, track Oh, fuck of you. <laughs> Find somebody else, asshole. <laughs> Ian, you're up. Um, I really, I really liked your your tips of all the different ways to track initiative, but I think this one is a really great way to help your DM out. If you're you're a player and you're twiddling your thumbs and you want something to do, be involved in this. Um, it really is a, a fantastic learning experience for yourself, mostly because you get to learn how to track initiative when you eventually become DM and then pass it on to somebody else. I guess I don't know. Darren, I thought that this was great. You also touched on tracking initiative a couple other ways. Do you want to elaborate on, on that? Um, yeah, there's the um, the DM. Uh, there are a couple DMG variants. One of them is um, speed factor initiative, which can, I, I personally don't recommend. It's basically you say what action you want to do, and then at the top of every round, you re-roll initiative and do that. I'm like, oh, rolling initiative every round? It's slow. Thank you. Um, let's see what else. Um, there is, there was another one. Basically it's, it's a, you can have static initiative modifiers like, all right, so uh, I have a plus three to my initiative roll. So I go at 13 every time. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, did you want to know other tips about like how to help DMs track about initiative yes, or just like yes. the variants? Yes. Um, the, uh, different styles. Like, uh, one yeah. that I've used, I've got a whiteboard, um, but one that I've seen that I think I'm going to do moving forward is there's like a, you take a dowel rod and you write everyone's name on like clothesline pins and you yep. click them on a pole and their yep. name is right there. So I think I'm going to change to that and you can just flick it from one side to the other. You had quite a few yeah. other options in there for huh. tracking initiative. Yeah, yeah. That was one of them. Uh, flashcards or pins basically printing out uh, their names or put it, writing them on pins or whatever and then just kind of arranging them in the right order. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another one you can do is start is commonly done is when uh, everyone's uh, rolled initiative, you kind of count, all right, is anyone from uh, 25 to a 21? No, moving on 26 to a, or 20 to a 16, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, not a big fan of that one. Takes too much uh, time. Also, initiative tracking apps, um, the way I do it, I, I've just created a template to print out, um, has 26, or has 1 through 26 on the uh, initiative things, and there's like three different rows, so you can have three different combats, and so whenever something's going on, you just write the name down there, mm-hmm. and it has room for you to record hit points, conditions, that sort of thing. Um, I It's the way I found to be the most optimal, and that uh, initiative tracking templates in with Guide to, uh, guide to Combat, so... There you go. <laughs> um, well, I... Th- think that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast don't Don't be a a dick dick. and you can avoid dickitude by tracking initiative for your dm please do this they will love you long time it's true (laughs) (laughs) um i think that'll do it for our show today before we close out we have one more gift to give away compliments of jeff stevens a small village empty of villages except for one boy 
found sitting and weeping next to a jester's pageant wagon. The boy explains that the villagers, including his family, followed a jester into the wagon and never came out. What madness could the adventurers face? Can they save the villagers? Or will they go mad trying? Can you survive the madhouse of Tasha's kiss? That's awesome. Darren, who's our winner today? Our winner is Jonah Sil So One. Congratulations, Jonah Sil. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. Go on, go on. I hit the button too soon. Too soon. He's just a dickhead. It's okay. <laughs> it's funny. He doesn't press it when he needs to, and then presses it when he doesn't need to. Oh, fuck you, man. <laughs> Congratulations, Jonas Silas So One. If you enjoy the adventure, please leave Jeff Stevens a review. Leaving reviews for content creators is an amazing way to show that you care. Yep. <laughs> I have so many downloads, and I have like three reviews. <laughs> he feels your pain. I know you. I feel Over your pain. Over 500 downloads and only a few reviews. Yeah, it's hard to get people to review. I love the um, product. I don't give a shit about the creator. <laughs> <laughs> I got what I wanted. F you. Um, so uh, before we close out here, uh, Darren, would you like to give yourself one more plug? Yeah. Um, you can find uh, my products over at Dark Dawn Games on Facebook. That is just Facebook, Dark Dawn Games, no spaces, no caps or anything like that um, in terms of the URL, but with uh, and the group name should show up with spaces. Uh, Twitter as well, you can find me at Dark Dawn Games, no, um, no spaces or caps, anything like that. And you'll get updates from our products, but we don't like to spam or anything like that. It's just... Um, Basically, notification releases, upcoming events like this one. Sometimes we'll post some memes or humor. Other times we'll have discussion topics. Absolutely. Definitely check them out. Like I said, if you haven't checked out uh, episode 95, uh, Versatile NPCs, check that out. Uh, Darren was a guest then, too, to talk about uh, one of my personal favorite uh, tools in my DM toolkit. Um, So check it out. so please join us. Well, I guess I should elaborate. We were supposed to do, um, I was supposed to do uh, Captains and Cannons. That got kind of pushed back. So uh, please join us on our next episode. We will be discussing Call from the Deep, a Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition campaign for characters first to 12th level with special guest JVC Perry. I am really excited about this. Um, I have had the privilege, nay, the pleasure of reading this adventure. And it is an amazing um it's fantastic definitely uh excited to have him on so if you have any uh feedback on our tips and tricks or topics you'd like us to discuss please send them to us you can email them to us at critacademy at gmail.com or find us on twitter and facebook at crit academy all right we hope you enjoyed your experience here at crit academy if you did you can help others find the show by leaving a hopefully five-star review on itunes or your platform of choice or just send us a message telling us how much you enjoyed the show also, be sure to give us a like and a share. <laughs> Make sure to check out us check us out on Patreon. Head on over to CritAcademy.com or Patreon.com slash CritAcademy. Uh, we have uh, picked this appropriate tier that has all the fat loots you want. We give away a lot of shit. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> so go sign up. Um, we also have some amazing DMs Guild content products. There, we've got quite a few different things. Please pick something you like. If you do pick something up, please leave us a review. Um, we appreciate when you do. I think our, our you know, our uh, our UTT has like eighteen or like things like i don't know if it's 18 reviews or not but there's a lot of reviews on there so thank you for everyone that's doing that uh brandon does commission takes full does full color body art and shoulder line art and all that jazz you can find that pricing on Yay. facebook um make sure to subscribe to our show at craigcademy.com follow us on twitch and youtube and all that jazz um so we can help you on your future adventures as well as you'll be entered to win cool prizes each and every week make sure to check out our fellowship members as well shout out to inner party conflict uh, gabe and jeff answer your questions in the most professional way possible <laughs> not like what we do <laughs> which is basically just insult you and tell you how you're doing it wrong <laughs> uh, also check out D character lab every week those two lab rats come together and create beautiful beautiful bard music when they create their characters and argue whose baby is better also check out the kind gm on twitter and brute force and ignorance uh, actual play podcast those guys are awesome all right now that the housekeeping is done i am your host justin and i'm your guest darren scott i'm your co-host brandon i'm your host dan and thank you for listening Woo. keep your blades sharp and spells prepared heroes 